Hello, my name is Father Matthew Farrell, and I'm a, I'm a Dominican here in St. Mary's Priory here in Cork. And I'd just like to welcome you here to this Advent series. And if you haven't um, attended the two previous ones, this is the third Sunday of Advent. So there's four, it's, it's a four-part series, and this is the third part of the series. And in, and in this talk tonight, we'll be concentrating on the readings, the Sunday readings from the third Sunday of Advent. And today's, today's which is the third Sunday of Advent, it's, it's also known as Gaudete Sunday. And the word Gaudete means to rejoice. And so one could say that the theme of this Sunday is one of joy. And in the first reading, which comes from the prophet Zephaniah, we see the word rejoice being mentioned here. And it says, Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Israel, shout for joy. Rejoice, exalt with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. And this is a very unusual verse indeed. And this is because the majority of the book of Zephaniah is all about tribulation coming to Jerusalem. And this is because of the corruption of all its leaders and also because of the worship of idols among its people. But this passage, on the other hand, is different. And this is because it's full of hope. And the country at this time, it was very close to ruin. But the prophet Zephaniah announces the victory of God's love over sin, along with the radical transformation of the social, political, and the religious world. And this is the reason why he invites the poor of the country to rejoice. And we too, in the church today, are going through much turmoil. But from church history, we know that every time the church was in a crisis, God seemed to be able to raise up saints who brought about change and renewal. And in fact, there's already signs of change happening within the church today. For example, many parts of France, a country that would be classed as being very secular, and very liberal, has been experiencing a revival within the Catholic faith. And I read one article where a man who came back to his faith expected to find empty churches. But he was very surprised at how full that there were, and was also very surprised at many of his friends, who were now all married and with kids at this time, they also were coming back to the faith. And another sign of life in the church today is in the Dominicans here in Ireland, we're still getting vocations, despite the decline in vocations all around the country over the last 40 years or so. And so there are signs of renewal happening even here in Ireland. And sadly, the change that Zephaniah prophesied didn't come about in his lifetime. In fact, 
one could say it wasn't really fulfilled until the coming of Jesus Christ. And many Catholic scripture scholars have suggested that the daughter of Zion that's mentioned in the book of Zephaniah is none other than the Virgin Mary. And one reason for this is because when the angel Gabriel greets Mary, he doesn't greet her with the usual Hebrew greeting, which would be shalom, which means peace. Instead, he uses the word hail, which also can be translated as rejoice. And in the prophecy from Zephaniah, we see another reason why the daughter of Zion rejoices. It says that she rejoices because the Lord is in her midst. But another translation of the phrase, the Lord is in her midst, is the phrase, the Lord is in her womb. And so one could say that the daughter of Zion prophecies are fully fulfilled in the Annunciation story. And logically from this, we can, see, we can say that Mary and her son Jesus are the reason for the world to rejoice. In the second reading today, we again see the word rejoice being used. And Paul is writing to the Philippians. And he's doing so from his prison cell in Rome. And he should be downhearted because he's in prison. But in his letter, he keeps inviting everyone to rejoice. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And Paul even goes on to encourage them to pray for all their needs, asking God for it with thanksgiving. And he says, there's no need to worry. For if there's anything that you need, pray for it, asking God for it with prayer and thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which is so much greater than we can understand, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. And this is good news for us here today. For many people, the time of coming up to Christmas can be very hard on them. And this is due to the anxiety and worry about many things, getting organized for Christmas, getting the kids ready for, for the holidays. And so one way of preparing for Christmas is to ask Jesus for healing in this area of our lives. We know that Jesus doesn't want us to be caught up in this state. Does he not say, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let today's own trouble be sufficient for the day. And Mark Twain, the author of Huckleberry Finn, once said, I have suffered many things in my life, and most of them have never happened. And like Mark Twain, very often we just can't seem to overcome our inner anxieties. As well as fretting over current issues, past memories can oppress our emotions, and worrying about the future can stop us from living in the present. 
And a few weeks ago, I was on a retreat and I got a lot of inspiration for this talk from a, from a book that I read over that week. And the book was called The Impact of God. And it was written by a Carmelite priest named Father Ian Matthews. And I, I would recommend it as a book to take on our retreat. And Father Matthews says the following. To become unhooked from inflammatory images of past events and worrying expectations of the future, we need the virtue of hope. And the virtue of hope is their refusal to get locked into worry, because in our hearts, we know that there's a reality out there which is much more important than our emotions. Hope means easing the mind of what inflames it and frightens it, and bringing the mind upwards towards God, who alone can give us peace. We also remember that we have a great model of hope in Mary, our mother. By the power of the Holy Spirit, she was able to live fully in each present moment. And as we become more filled with the Holy Spirit, when we grow and mature within our spiritual lives as time goes on, we too can gradually learn to live in the present and begin, begin to let go of the past and the future. And this is because the Holy Spirit is there to convince us that God is close to us, that God is near us. And St. Paul too could rejoice because in his heart, he really knew the closeness of God. In the second reading, he says, let your tolerance be evident to everyone. The Lord is very near. And this really highlights to us the joy of the Advent season. Jesus didn't only come to atone for our sins, but he came to stay with us, to be near us. And not only is he with us in spirit, but he also leaves us his present in the, uh, presence in the Eucharist. And a line from the first Sunday in Advent really sums this point up. It says, Oh, that you would tear the heavens and open and come down. At your presence, the mountains would melt. And this is also a cry that can come from each one of our hearts. We long for companionship with God. We long to believe that we're not alone. And by the virtue of faith and the virtue of hope, we know that Jesus has torn the heavens and come down to us. And because he has done so, we can always be in his presence. But in order to become more aware of the presence of God, we must first acknowledge our need for God. And our deepest prayer is not our prayers for things, but when we pray to God that we really need him. And Advent is not about accumulating things for Christmas, but about remembering once again our need for God.
our need to feel his closeness. And we are created to need God. In fact, if one were to, to describe what a human being is from a religious sense, one could say that a human being is a capacity for God. We're created to be filled by him. And all of our worries and our anxieties are really only a sign of this greater need that's within us. And the more we become aware of this need within us, the more we will begin to experience the presence of God within our souls. And so one could say that prayer is more about allowing ourselves to be loved by him who is always present there loving us. We know by faith that we don't have to go out and search for Jesus like the three wise men who went out to search for him. But, but instead, we believe that Jesus is constantly searching for us. But you may be saying to yourself, that it's very hard to believe that Jesus is always present there loving us when we can't see him. And this is true in that it requires a lot of faith and hope on our part to really accept his unconditional love for us. In Father Ian Matthews' book that I just mentioned, he quotes St. John of the Cross, who says, Here is a reason to be happy. Here is a case for joy. The realization that every blessing and all that you hope for is so close to you as to be within you. There's just one thing. Even though he's within you, he is hidden. And it's this hiddenness of God that re really requires us to step out in trust. We know it at Jesus' second coming that this will no longer be so. But for now, we must be contented with the way that he is revealing himself to us. And during Advent and the Christmas season, we're reminded of his hiddenness, both in his birth unknowns to many, and in the way that the Holy Family had to hide from King Herod. We're also reminded from today's readings that even though Christ's presence remains hidden, we know by faith that he's very near to us. And this is the good news, news which many of our family and friends do not really get. And I often like to think that in a very special way, Jesus makes himself present to us during the Christmas season. But in order to really experience Christ coming to us during Christmas, we need to prepare our hearts for it during Advent. And so the church calls on us to use this time of Advent to look at the various things in our lives that are blocking us from experiencing God's love for us, that is, 
to look at the things which constantly rob us of our hope and of our joy. And during my retreat recently, one of the things that kept coming up for me during the retreat was my inability to wait. I can want to sort things out quickly in order to get them out of the way, and I can get very anxious and stressed when I can't solve a problem or when I can't figure out how something is done. And during the retreat, I felt God saying to me, to be more contented with not knowing how to do this or to do that, because the solutions will eventually come within their own good time. And this has come true for me recently. I've only recently came to St. Mary's here um, in Cork. And when I, when, I, when I came, I took up the role of worship here. And when I took up this role in St. Mary's about a month ago, I was very stressed with not understanding many things. But over time, I'm learning slowly how things are done. And so I'm beginning to accept now that eventually it will all become much easier for me. And learning to wait and to be patient is a virtue that needs to be constantly practiced. One of the areas within our lives where we need to learn to wait is within the area of prayer. And many people who begin to take their prayer life seriously for the very first time experience much joy in prayer. And this is because in the initial stages of prayer, God can give us many consolations and blessings. But after some time, God begins to withdraw his consolations. And this is because he wants us to love him for himself and not love him for what he can give to us. And so when this happens, we can become very confused as to what's going on, especially because we remember how enthusiastic we once were. And at this stage, some Christians can even give up on prayer, thinking it's not for them, or else that they're just too sinful for God to love them. And another area which can block us from feeling God's presence is when we try and do everything on our own, on our own strength, that is. And in the psalm today, we read the following. Truly God is my salvation. I trust, I shall not fear. For the Lord is my strength, my song. He became my savior. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And this line shows us that it's God who makes us into good people. And while we have to cooperate with his grace, it's really God who saves us. Many times in our lives, we can become very anxious that it's all down to us to become holy. And we can think thoughts like, if only I could just get things right and perfect, then God would be much more pleased with me. But we must remember that we're not our own liberators, nor are we our own source of healing. In another reading from St. Paul, he speaks about rejoicing in our weaknesses because he believed that our weaknesses are really God's strength. 
And this is why when we're faced with our weaknesses, sometimes all we can do is learn to wait on the Lord in order to come and heal us. And St. John of the Cross describes God as being like a mother who eventually picks up and carries her child along when she realizes that they've become too tired to walk. And during our retreats here in the house, we have a tradition that we keep silence during meals. And so instead of talking, we have a spiritual reading read out during lunchtime. And a part of the reading on Thursday really tied in with the reading from St. Paul this evening. The book read was by a Dominican named Father Bede Jarrett, and he said the following. God made us, intending that we should know our own way, goal, and purpose, and achieve it for ourselves, and thus reach the perfection that he meant us to have, a perfection that's within our scope. But how can we achieve this goal? Leave it to him. Leave it to him entirely. He will get us there if we would just let him. That is all that we have to do. To let him make us perfect. It's his job. And this shows us that we must really learn to trust that God will make us holy. That he will make us into saints. But even though it's God who makes us holy, we must still cooperate with his grace by doing our little part in preparing our hearts for this encounter. But what must we do? Well, in today's gospel reading, this is the very question asked by the people to John the Baptist. They said to him, what must we do? And the answer that John gives to them also applies to us here today as we prepare our hearts for Christmas during this Advent season. And instead of giving them a spiritual talk like I'm doing here this evening, John gives them very practical guidelines. And the first thing that he says to them is, if anyone has two tunics, he must share with the man who has none, and the one with something to eat must do the same. And this shows us that the first thing that we must do is to share with others what we have. We usually associate St. Dominic with preaching and with study. But when he was studying for the priesthood, St. Dominic sold all of his books just so that he could feed the poor with the money that he got from them. And so one way of preparing for Christmas during the Advent season is to give some money or some of our possessions to charity. Recently, a couple lent me their house as I wanted to get away for a few days of silence. And when I got there, not only had they given me their house, but had even stocked up the fridge for me and they left lots of wood and coal for burning in the fireplace. And I always think that when we give from what we have, God will reward our generosity in some other way. And I hope that they're rewarded for their kind gesture to me. 
The second and third things that John asks the people to do are similar enough. He says, exact no more than your rate. And to the soldiers, he says, no intimidation, no extortion. Be content with your pay. And this shows us the importance of being happy with our work and being happy with the agreed pay that our employer gives to us. Being happy with what we have in general gives great glory to God. But as we, know, as we know, it's so easy to begin grumbling about things, things like our jobs, our bosses, our spouses, our children, and about our family situations. But this grumbling in the long run only makes us unhappy. And these guidelines from John shows us that our faith is very practical and it's not all about practicing piety. Sometimes it's easier to say our prayers well and do holy hours, but when it comes down to doing the practical things, like giving money to the poor and doing our jobs well without complaining, many Christians can fail in these areas. And so this Advent, let us be practical in our resolutions in preparing the way for the Lord this Christmas time. If you've not already done so, maybe now is the time to make some concrete decisions of what you can do differently. Maybe it might be with regards to doing some extra prayer during the week, or maybe it might be by giving money to the poor, or maybe it might be in making a determined decision to be happy with your lot and practice not grumbling. Or maybe it might be in the area of being more patient with the people around you. Whatever decision you make this Advent to prepare your hearts for Christmas, always remember that you're not alone in your efforts. Jesus is Emmanuel, a name which means God is with us. And so don't forget, even though he's hidden, Jesus is with you, he's within you, he's in the sacraments, and he will, he will carry you along if you would just let him do so. So like Father B. Jarrett said earlier, leave it to him, leave it to him entirely. And I thank you for listening to this talk for the third week of Advent. And I wish you a very happy and peaceful Christmas. God bless you.